Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Excitement when these two let themselves go on a wild and woolly whirl through Funtown, USA. Yes, the sky's the limit for love, laughter, and those wonderful new sounds. She loves, love, loves me. Would you like to make a bet? I said the lady loves me. When this boy falls, he really falls hard. But who wouldn't? When the girl is seductive and Margaret. Once I met a nice old man upon the village green. I helped him cross the street into his limousine. Next day he sent the biggest brooch I've ever seen to show his appreciation. The eyes of Texas are upon you. You cannot get away. If you think I don't need you, well then baby you're wrong. I give, give you my heart. Today, tomorrow, and forever. It's a pleasure to hear a man's opinion and not have to listen to the stubborn ravings of a boy who won't grow up and...
Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioandCars.com, the archive page. Good evening, Tommy. Hello, Robert. So, it looks like we got no computer glitches today. We're doing much better today. On our, because of me. Because you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the computer. Yeah, well, you know, so we're back to the basics. You well, know what? Being prepared, Robert. I'm prepared today. You're prepared today. Well, last year, last Good year, boy last, scout. you were, you, yeah, you were caught off guard. And I was caught off guard. But that, hey, that's, you know, that's the beauty of live radio. It's just what it is. It's technology, and sometimes it goofs up. You know, the average guy out there that listens to a radio show has no idea about the screw up. But those of us tuned into it, you know, we hear some dead air, or we hear a screw up, or, uh, you know, even in some of the, you know, the commercials. Well, yeah, hey, what's going on in there? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but at any rate, all right, so we're back to normal now, and, uh, I think I hear you okay. That, that, my, my earphones are okay. But at any rate, all right, we got an exciting show for you this evening, as usual. I'll be jaw jacking here for a few minutes. we got a special guest coming on this afternoon. And uh, so where I'm going with this is um, what's going on this weekend. Well, this past weekend was a, the show over at Roosters. Unfortunately, I missed it because I thought it was in the afternoon or the earlier in the daytime, but it turned out it was in the evening. So uh, from what I hear, it was a pretty good show, a very good turnout, and... Uh, so if you're in old school hot rods, definitely check out Rooster's Rod Shop. Um, thinking uh, what else is going on? Oh yeah, Turkey Rod Run was this past weekend. I didn't go to that, but my buddy Bill did, and Bill said it was a pretty decent turnout. So so much for that. This weekend is uh, Leadfoot City's uh, Easter thing. By the way, this weekend Sunday is Easter. Friday is Good Friday. So uh, for all us Catholics out there, you know what to do around three o'clock. Um, in the meantime, happy Easter, everybody. If you want to find out where all the other Easter car shows are, definitely check out uh, flacarshows.com. You can find out about that. And, uh, you know, if you don't feel like cooking on Easter, you know, go check out our buddies over there at the Rib Shack Barbecue. Because today is Tuesday. It's Rib Shack Tuesday. And uh, so that's generally where I kind of hang out. Um, so let's see what can we talk about. I was just thinking about some stuff the other day on, uh, you know, I always go back to this nostalgic thing, you know, how it was back in the day, because obviously this is nostalgic radio and cars. 
And I was just thinking about some of the stuff. I was thinking about there's a place over on, used to be off in East Bay Drive, and I think it was called Honest Charlie's. And the guy that ran it was named John. And behind that is Allen's Alley. And Allen's still there. Alan Kent. Well, what I didn't know, Alan Kent's a friend of a, another friend of mine. Actually, he's an uncle or cousin or something like that to another friend of mine, Mike Kent. Mike's about nine feet tall. Well, I'm exaggerating. He's six eight, six seven, somewhere around there. But he used to wad himself up and stuff himself up into a uh, Chevy Vega. I went to a little cars and coffee thing the other day, and it's at the Cattleman's Cafe up in uh, Hernando, which is north of Crystal River. Just happened to be hanging out there. And this little Vega showed up, and I saw this Vega about a month or so at uh, the Crystal Chevrolet car show. And what was really neat, it was a 73 Vega, like my friend had, and somebody had stuffed a 215 V8 in it. I might have mentioned this last last time. Now, you know, when you go to the car shows, I talk about this all the time. You know, you can have, if you go to a Mustang show, you go to a Corvette show, you know, everybody gets all excited about NCRS cars and, you know, Mustang, Grand Nationals, and all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, by the way, there was another big car show over at, uh, I guess, over at uh, Cape Canaveral there. And a couple of my Ford guys, Ford buddies were over there, and there were some pretty cool cars over there. But what intrigues me is cars that are different. Because when you go to a car show and all the cars are, you know, everybody's trying to restore a car. You know what? It's, it's, that just is drives you batty because you know then they all look alike then it looks like a car lot right tommy you know you got a green one a red one a yellow one a blue one and so on and they're all you know whatever and uh so whether it's a ford chevy a mopar whatever so my 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 advice to most of you guys out there is don't worry about restoring cars just do your own thing to it make a car period correct i mean that's the kind of stuff that impresses a real car guy you know because he's walking over because here's the problem you got i appraise cars from a professional standpoint and if a guy sits there and tells me his car is restored, it's all correct, there's always going to be somebody going to walk up there and say, nope, that's not true, that's not correct, and they're going to find something wrong with it. And then you're hurt and your feelings are bad, and you're going to go back to the guy that worked on your car, and he's not going to know what to do because he's not an expert. None of these guys really are. There's only a handful of really, really good guys out there that have been around for 100 million years. So your best bet is to just get a car, and if you want it green, paint it green. If you want a blue, paint it blue. If you want pony interior in it, if you want a stock interior, if you want a deluxe interior in it, if you want mag wheels on it, um, you know, get what uh, what floats your boat, and uh, and the car you should personalize it so that it makes you happy, and that's the best thing I can tell you. There was this kid that had a little, uh, I guess it's an S one ninety two. It's the two thousand four, no ninety four to two thousand four. So he had a two thousand four Mustang, and from a distance, he had the bullet wheels on it, but the wider ones, the aftermarket ones, had a couple little touches on it. Had Shelby on it. Had a uh, when I looked at the dash, it had it was it was from a distance. It looked like it was autographed by Carol Shelby. And I asked him, I said, "Did you, did you Carol Shelby autograph this?" He goes, "No, it's a decal." And it's just so sad that they reproduce all this stuff that you you know it's counterfeit stuff. And I I have an issue with that. I mean, I'm all about authenticity, but I respect the fact that the guy is that much of a Shelby guy that he basically went to the extremes of doing all this stuff, and he did it very tastefully. Everything on his car was real tasteful. Um, the emblems, the, the trim. He even actually replicated a, in 67, they had what they called um, uh, aluminum dash trim panels. You know, they're either camera finish, uh, wood grain in 68, but in 67, I don't believe you can get wood grain. I think you either got cell, uh, camera finish, um, and it was a deluxe interior, and he basically had the deluxe interior, which all Shelby's came with. So he made this little panel to go over the gauges, and he changed out the gauges. And he did a nice job on it. 
so I, out of all the cars that were there, and there was a couple of fiberglass kit cars, and unfortunately, I don't really get into that stuff. I'm not into your 32 Ford, your 34 Ford, or your whatever it is, fiberglass car, because unfortunately, I just don't. I have a problem with that, especially if you just go buy yourself a Chevrolet motor and throw it under the hood, and big deal, you know. And then you put an ugly set of billet wheels on it, and you give it a twenty thousand dollar paint job. You still got a car that's worth ten grand with a twenty thousand dollar paint job on it. So shy away from kit cars because kit cars. I mean, unless you try to make the car authentic, you know, that's one thing. But unfortunately, you know, um, they're just kit cars are kit cars, you know. And uh, they don't really have any. They don't hold their value. I mean, it's again. I'm not. I'm not, not going to take anything away from the guy that's a true and car enthusiast and wants his car. You know, and he's he's into that. You know, and if you can't find a steel one, you go with a fiberglass one. It's just that so many of them, they just don't. Uh, they're just not cars. Okay. I mean, they are and they aren't. I know it's kind of hard to explain. You just you'd have to be a car guy. So anyway, where I'm going with this is there was a bunch of cars there, and it was you know cookie cutter, cookie cutter, cookie cutter. But the cars that stood out were the ones that were a little bit different. And this Vega was one of them. This guy's Mustang was another one. There was even a guy there with a 240Z, uh, 1973. He didn't know that much about the car. He just bought it because it was kind of cool, and he remembered them from the day. And uh, it was an odd color for for a 240Z. It was. Um, Kind of like a British racing green, and uh, but the car was nice. It was clean. It was tastefully done, uh, with the exception of the pinstriping you put on the hood, which kind of re- replicated like what you would see on an LT1, for example. 70, 70, 71, 72 Chevrolets had LT1s had pinstriping on, which I always thought that was kind of tacky looking because you know, it had a big block hood on it. They should have just made an emblem that said LT1, and that would have been nice. They did do it later. They had you know the uh, L82, L40 something, or what 48s, and so on and so on. So I don't know why they didn't do it then. But, hey, you know, that's my job as a car guy to critique this stuff, you know. In fact, one of these days we're going to get into some really nice uh, car bashing. And it's fun to do that, you know, because we're know-it-alls. You know, that's right. Aren't we, Tommy? We're know-it-all. I'm a car know-it-all. Not. Um, but, I, I, like I said, I mean, you know, when you when you appraise cars for a living, when you go to some of the main events, you know, Amelia Island's coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, in a month or two. And that is an outstanding event. And I encourage everybody Spend the money. It's 125 bucks to get in, 100 bucks if you register early, to go to Amelia Island. This is a first-class event. There's only a handful of them in the country that, that, that rival Amelia Island, and that would be Pebble Beach, maybe St. John's. Um, there's a lot of very, very nice cars all over. But when you talk about a venue you know, that has everything, it really boils down to... Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, and probably St. John's up in, which used to be Meadowbrook, up in Michigan. Those are the foremost ones in this country. There are a lot of very, very good concourses that are up a lot smaller, and people put those shows on. And we've had guests on and, and representatives from those events, and uh, because there's some amazing cars all over, you know, and that's what makes those events. But when you go to that event, you see what a first-class car looks like. And that's where I'm going with this. You know, it's like I'm not saying I'm spoiled. I'm just saying that you know, uh, you want to you want to raise the bar a little bit with your car. You know, when you go to a car show, let's say for example you have a '70 GSX Buick, and it's an automatic car or four-speed car, or whatever. That's a rare car. Let's say you have a W30. Let's say you have a Ram Air 4 GTO. Let's say you have a Torino Cobra Super Cobra Jet. Let's say you have an LS6 Chevelle. Those are very, very interesting and outstanding cars, very rare. And those just jump out at you. But if you've got a clone and it's not an original car, 
then make it kind of look kind of cool, give it that retro look, but try to be as authentic as possible. That's what makes that particular style of car stand out. Or just make it look like a custom that would have been rolling around on the streets back in the day, you know? Then people will walk up to it. But, you know, um, if it's just the, the, the cookie cutter car, and I know people are proud of their cars and I'm not taking anything away from them, but it, but where I'm going with this is that the cars that become the true conversation pieces are the things that people, how you know, when people make their cars a little bit on the unique, you know, one of the things you can look for when you do do a car, if you're, if you're trying to keep it as close to authentic as possible, is factory options. There was a guy that used to run around here years ago, and uh, I tell you what, Tommy, why don't you go ahead and fire up the stereo, and then I'll come back and finish this story because we're going to play a little music here. You tune into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Here's a little April wine, and going back to the '70s, uh, could have been a lady. It's uh, International Women History Month. Here you go. Let's tune in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. We'll be right back. Brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and we're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I was just commenting on cars. Again, I'm just putting out suggestions, but years ago, there was a guy that used to roll around here in uh, Pinellas County, and he would show up at all the local car shows, and he had a beige-colored 65 or 66 Mustang convertible. This guy went out of his way and diligently sought after, even though his car was just a basic convertible, he got every possible known option that was available on a 65 Mustang, from the illuminated uh, horsey in the grill, 
Mustang, um, special horns, the uh, bumper guards on the back that look like horseshoes, the full-length taillight panels, um, interior pieces, um, just and there was a lot of stuff from Thunderbirds and Lincolns and stuff like that that kind of carried over, with the exception they never had power seats and never had power windows in a Mustang. Um, the rally pack, um, special shift knob, console, air conditioning, um, suspension upgrades, uh, Shelby stuff. I mean, he really, truly went out of his way. Now, a lot of guys used to pick on the guy, and I did. He was one of my customers. But what I thought was really unique and why I had a lot of respect for the guys because he actually went out and looked for a lot of these original option uh, items. And this is back in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, before we had the Internet. So the fact that he was out there paging through all these magazines, through Hemmings, through classic cars, collector car magazines, uh, Mustang magazines, uh, just, just, wow. You know, it was just really, really cool. So, I, again, this is where I'm going with, so it's kind of like, uh, I, I'm in the Porsches pretty heavy, okay? So I'm always looking for 911s and the 356s. And those are two of my favorite European cars. And um, but what I look for in those cars is you know some of the rare options. Those rare options, those nuances. That's what kind of like sets the guy your car apart from the other car. And that's what you want to do. You want to set your car apart from the other guy. If the car's original, unrestored, leave it original, unrestored. I just ran on a guy the other day that had a '65 Mustang, '66. He had it in high school. Parked the car. Went away. You know, life changes, you know, went to college, got married, had kids, blah, blah, blah. So what his parents did for him this past Christmas is they found the car. It was sitting in his garage and um, in their garage, actually. And they had the car. They got the car running and driving for him. And basically, it was kind of a really cool Christmas gift because here he got a chance to share this car with his kids, his young kids. And that was really, really neat. So here's a car that he kind of t- played around with when he was in high school, you know, and him and his dad messed around with it. And here it is, you know, 25 years later, he still has the car or 20 years later, whatever it might be. And that's really cool. So, you know, and so I was talking a little bit. It had Kragers on it and had some other custom stuff on it, some funky fog lights and stuff like that. But you know what? That's the way the car was. It was period for the time. That's what he did. So leave it alone. But it's a story. And that is probably one of the most interesting things about a classic car when you have a car. It's the stories, you know, and what you did to the car. Try to do as much as you possibly can on the car yourself because... You, you just personalize it. You got involved with it. You didn't write a check and say, hey, do this, paint it, do, put the interior in it, and, this, and then you show up at a car show and expect everybody to go, wow. It doesn't, you know, cars are personal. They're, they, they have personalities. They have a soul. We talk about this all the time. You know, make, the, make that car yours. You become one with the car, as they say, you know, all that cool stuff. And um, just, you know, like I said, next time you go to a car show, just walk around. Look for the cars that are unique. Look for the cars that are different. Look for the cars that have a potential story. Talk to the owners of the car, you know. I mean, you get two seconds there, and you can tell right away whether the guy's really, really, really into the car. I met a guy, and I'll make it real short. Last A couple years ago when I was in Monterey, California, there was a 58 Essel station wagon there. Really nice car. I think it was a Bermuda, all loaded. As the story goes, and I researched it, this was a car that was actually driven by Donna Reed in the TV show, The Donna Reed Show, with Carl Betts and uh, Tim Matheson and those guys. You remember that TV show when we were kids? Yes, Th- I do. Okay, when that show first came out, Donna Reed actually drove an Etzel station wagon. Now, I was impressed with it. I think I might have referenced this once before on the show a couple years ago. And, uh, and just recently here at Bear Jackson, Etzel Ford the second his Etzel, which he had, re, had he retro, uh, 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 resto modded with a Jack Roush motor and all that stuff, brought $165,000. The Cobra brought 
five million, which it should have, you know, which was Carol Shelby's one of two uh, super snakes. But anyway, on that note, fire up that stereo, and we're going to get our guests on the show here. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. I think we've got a little, uh, how about a little Brian Highland and Gypsy Queen? Tune in to Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Through a caravan around a campfire light. Lovely woman in motion With hair as dark as night Her eyes were like that of a cat in the dark That hypnotized me with love She was a gypsy woman Guitar melody From the fire Her face was all aglow How she enchanted me stance than any little import, so you won't be pushed around by the wind. With high-backed bucket seats in front and comfortable room all around, and Ditto Strong, built to run and run and run, with little servicing, little noise, little expense. Ditto, a little carefree car to put a little kick in your life. A little better idea from Ford, coming September 11th. Hi, this is Sam Posey. Racing driver, writer, architect. Tune in for Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and uh, it's time to continue celebrating the International Women's History Month, and I'm delighted to do so with one of the women that was responsible for some of the early pioneering in racing, and she's also the honoree for the 26th annual Amelia Island Concourse and an alumni here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm delighted to welcome Lynn St. James. Hey, Lynn, how are you? I am great, thank you. So I played the little Pinto commercial because you raced a Pinto. I was like, oh my God, did you do that because of me? I did that because of you. Now, don't laugh. I have, I can 
tell you that I actually own a 73 Pinto station wagon myself that I've had for 20-some-odd years, and I like Pintos. And I was a big fan of Racer Waltz. Now, give us your Pinto background. Well, it was my very first race car. I mean, I ordered it, custom ordered it from the dealer, uh, Luke Bolton Ford in Fort Lauderdale, because I wanted uh, it without, I ordered it, even though I lived in South Florida, without air conditioning. Because I knew I was going to put a roll bar in it and a five-point seatbelt and a five-pound fire extinguisher for racing and didn't want to have the extra weight of the air conditioning unit. So, you know, it was my street car, drove it back and forth to work during the week, and then it was the very first race car that I went to driver school, SCCA competition driver school, and got my competition license. And it started me on my path and on my journey um, as a race car driver. So... What, what 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 was your occupation prior to uh, your uh, racing career? Well, it, you know, while I was racing for many of the years, even while I raced, um, I was in business with my former husband. We had two businesses. We had an auto parts distribution company that sold shock absorbers called Autodyne, and we were in the manufacturer's rapid consumer electronics, um, Dynaseals of Florida. So we had two businesses that we were running, one automotive-oriented, which helped a lot with uh, being able to sort of write off some of the racing activities. (laughs) So what year was the Pinto? It was a 1974. I bought it at the end of 73, but it was a 1974. Okay, so it had a 2300 in it then at the time, right? Yeah, yep. yep. Okay, was that a pretty reliable motor for you? Because I know a lot of the short track guys like those, or the little Randy Rand, those little guys were running 2300s all all the time. Yeah, we weren't allowed to modify it, so um, that was what made it affordable and doable for me. We couldn't modify the car at all the engine nothing it was uh had to be purely stock so yeah the engine was fine it was very reliable which racing school did you go to back then well i went to the scca school i didn't okay go to the pro schools yeah so it was down in the florida region um i think my first school was at gainesville there was actually a little racetrack at gainesville and then i went to uh at morosa west palm beach uh raceway um and uh in west palm beach okay so what would you consider your home track pbi in a way? Uh, well, yeah, PBIR was uh, definitely the home track for the first six or seven years of my racing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and so, you know, and we would go up to Daytona where we would go to, they didn't really run SCCA much at Sebring, and so and then we would go up to Atlanta to run Road Atlanta, but, but yeah, PBIR was the uh, considered my home track for those first five, six years. Did Homestead exist back then? No. No? no. Okay. So that came after uh, Hurricane Andrew. Okay. So, any memorable racing stories with the Pinto Bean back then? Well, come on. I hope you're, you're, you're pulling me into this. Well, um, obviously, after I've completed driver school, then I couldn't wait. You know, the, the next is you're, you, you get to race in an actual race. But you have an X on the car because they want to observe that you've learned what you're supposed to have learned in driver school. And... Um, and I lost control of the car when the overall leader, you know, they throw a bunch of classes out there at the same time, and the overall leader came by. It, it just, I was not paying attention to my mirrors, and I was so focused on my, you know, my entries and my braking points and exits and apexes and all that, um, that when this car came up to pass me, it caught me off guard, and I lost control of the car, and I spun, and I ended up in a body of water down there at West Palm Beach. Oh. And the car totally... I got out of the car very quickly um, because it was floating on the top of the water. And by the time I got out of the car and kind of squaved, you know, squirmed off to the side, 
I turned around and the car totally submerged. So it was a little deeper than I realized. And uh, it had to spend the rest of the day underwater until the end of the evening when we could all go down and watch the divers pull it out. Oh, so that's basically in the carousel with a hairpin and the turn back in the way in the back there. <laughs> yeah. Turn two and three. Yeah, between turn two and three. Yeah. All right. So then what'd you graduate to? Then I moved up to a Cosworth Vega um, when, when uh, SCCA divided the classes into ABC instead of just all one. The, I wanted to be in the faster ones in the A class. And so um, I got a Cosworth Vega and I ran that for a couple of years. And then I started racing my uh, my then husband's Corvette and then a few of races. And then I got to run in the Kelly American Challenge Series in IMSA in a, uh, in a Plymouth Volare. Um, and uh, that started my kind of my IMSA career. And then in, in racing, it, you know, it was pro racing because they had it. They had prize money, they had first and prize money. And Kelly's, Kelly Services was a sponsor of the series and they provided a bonus prize money for the top female finisher in every race and a accumulated point system throughout the season the 10 race season and whoever finished i think it was first second and third there was a bonus uh points fund at the end of the year so it was a it was there was a financial incentive for an owner to put a female in a in the race car and i was uh, tagged it the first year in 1978 or 79 i think it was 79 and uh, you know, and won that money for my owner. I didn't get it, but uh, it was it was something that really it, it lasted for a few years. And you know, it's funny because now I'm working um, on behalf of women in racing with the different sanctioning bodies in motorsports, and I've used it as a reference of saying, you know, if we wanted to, it really it helped my career tremendously, as a few, as well as a few other female drivers. And I said we needed to have a contingency program now that will help support the female drivers that are out there racing so you know it's a model that worked then and was never replicated unfortunately i never could figure that out and uh, and i'm hoping to replicate it now when you were first got into racing what what inspired you what was like your motivation to get into automobile racing and i guess you you kind of gravitated to road racing right away right well road racing the first road race I ever saw was a 24 hours of Daytona, you know, in 19, I think, 72. And, you know, that's when I saw real people drove race cars. You know, I mean, I'd been to the Indy 500, but that was never anything, I'd, you know, I'd, you know, sit there and watch and go, I'll do that. But when you, when I went to Daytona and I saw not only the you know, Mario Andretti and, you know, all of the exotic cars up in the front, but there were some Porsches and Corvettes and Camaros in the back of the field that, you know, I thought, man, you know, these are just like normal folks and, they, and they're driving race cars. So, you know, found out about SCCA and, and became a member. But the real force of it was, I just like to drive fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was a simple way to find a place that you could drive fast safely as long as you weren't doing stupid things and, and legally. And, and so... You know, and then I, you had to get to driver's school to get your competition license. And I remember the first time, I'm like, oh, this is a piece of cake. I can drive. I can drive, and I can drive well, and I can drive fast. Well, when you go and realize what driving fast really means, when you're at the limits of your, you know, adhesion of the tires, and you're trying to get through the corners, and I mean, I, you know, you find out how little you really know about driving. And so my journey began of trying to understand and learn and go fast and 
make the right decisions of how to pass. I mean, all of it. It's a very complicated and complex exercise, and it's wonderful, and I loved every minute of it. Still do. For you, were there, and I know that your focus is getting women in, involved with um, uh, and racing and stuff. In fact, there's a girl that I met who was racing at Clearwater in uh, the St. Pete Grand Prix, and I can't think of her name right now, but I know she's out of Groveland, Florida. And, um, Shay, probably Shay Holbrook? Yes, Shay. Okay, and you were kind of instrumental in working with her, too, weren't you? Yeah, well, I, had, I created a driver development program in 1994 where once a year I would... Uh, invite what I could scout out or were the top drivers that I could see that existed throughout the season. And I tried to get, you know, pull them together. And, and I had a, an extensive four-day program that we taught them about nutrition and about physical fitness and about, it was mostly all the off-track stuff about media training, about how to make, how to present yourself. I mean, it was how to prepare the things that nobody tells you, you know, and how to prepare yourself for success. And I did that for 20 years, and, and Shay came to the program as well as Danica Patrick came when she was 14, and Sarah Fisher came when she was 15. And, you know, I had a number of the drivers that, that did ultimately move on that, you know, I think benefited from the stuff we were able to, to give them. But, um, but Shay really, she was a sharp cookie. You know, she, she was a former athlete and is a uh, water skier, and she just took the information to heart. And she's one of the few that I tell, you know, you can advise people what to do, and then, you know, they go back into their own lives, and some of them learn and apply, and some of them don't. You know, they go back doing what they do, but Shay really took a hold of a lot of that information that we shared with her and with all of them, and she really ran with it and, and it continues to succeed. Now, on the, I think a race team called Hickson Motorsports and with the MX-5 Cup, the Boston MX-5 Cup, and is doing, you know, creating uh, another opportunity for other female drivers to help promote them with Shift Up Now. And, you know, she really, um, she's a go-getter. She's a go-getter, and I'm proud that, to just watch and see how well she's doing. In, in the world of motorsports, what people don't realize is that, you know, you, you touched on this a second ago, physical fitness and, and, and stamina is extremely important in a, for a race car driver. You're in a hot car and a hot racing suit, you know, with minimal ventilation. I mean, now they have, granted, they have cool suits and some other technology and stuff like that. But to be fit, and I'll, one of the guys that I'm going to use as an example is probably Sterling Moss, okay? Because Sterling was a very fit guy. Um, from the NASCAR side, I'm going to say it was probably, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now, but uh, there was one guy in there that I, that I met a couple times. So from a, from a woman's standpoint, from a female standpoint, you've got to be extremely fit. Do you have to go... You know, if it's not like we're you know girls playing football or girls playing a, a very physical sport, you know, from the standpoint from a contact standpoint. But the fact that you're in the car, you have to put up the same amount of physical endurance that a guy does. Correct? Oh yeah, no. I mean, I've always said more muscle doesn't make you go faster, but at the same time, it takes a very high level of fitness, both cardiovascular strength and endurance. So, you know, you don't have to, I mean, I worked out three or four times a week on and on, I mean, all the time, you know, to, to be ready for racing. And, and and the other hard part of it is is that you can't really use those extra, you can't exercise those exact muscles by doing the sport like you can in other sports because you don't get to drive that fast, that hard, that often. So I worked a lot with trainers to help develop the 
types of exercises that would replicate what I was doing in the car. I mean, I literally had one of my trainers that was in Fort Lauderdale when I lived down there. He went to the race when I raced out of Miami, and he literally came, and I sat in the car, and we watched the angles, and, you know, it helped him train me when during the week. Um, so, you know, we really are athletes. We have to be very fit, but, but it's one of those equalizers for, for the fact that men and women can compete at an equal level is because it doesn't take once you add the physicality into the element, if you add where the more strength you have, the better you're going to be able to perform or compete, then men are always going to have the advantage. But as long as you don't have that, the physicality is not the defining element. You just have to be physically fit. And then the rest of it is how you use your brain and and how well you drive a car you know and race the car and balance the car um on those four wonderful tires so it's uh <laughs> you know it's a really equalizer and it's something that i don't think the sport has done enough job done a good enough job of communicating you know that it's one of the few sports that men and women can actually compete on an equal level uh i have to ask this question because shirley Muldowney brought this up one time she says women are far more assertive and the reaction times are better than men, particularly in racing. Your thoughts, please. <laughs> well, I've been told on the reaction time, which is why, one of the reasons why I think it's contributed to so many more women successful in drag racing. I don't know this scientifically, but I've been told that that is the case. That okay. women have a better reaction time. And, you know, I think it's proven out pretty well in, uh, in drag racing. How about in road racing, though? I mean, as far as the assertive standpoint and reaction time. Because that's important. Reaction time. Yeah, but it's anticipatory reaction time. Okay. It's really the brain. It, you're really, I mean, yes, you, the reaction you have to have in road racing is how quickly you get to the brakes, how quickly you, know, quickly you bake your shift, how quickly you turn the steering wheel. But it isn't always quickly because it, it, it's a lot of times it's finesse and it's smoothness and it, it's called anticipatory reaction time. So your reaction time, if you're reacting too quickly, but you didn't anticipate the right, the right movement. You know, then you, you know, you're, you're screwed. I mean, <laughs> okay. So, um, so no, I mean, I think that, um, and I, I mean, every every skill that you know, vision, um, flexibility, strength, cardiovascular fitness, all of those things, including reaction time and anticipatory reaction time, they're all going to help. Those are all skill sets that are going to help you in motorsports, whether it's drag racing, oval track racing, or road racing. You were at uh, Daytona this year, I believe, and Sebring also. Um, what? Tell us about some of the programs you're working on to uh, further the uh, involvement of women in racing. Well, it's, it's a combination of things. First of all, um, one of the things that's kind of a misnomer, it's not that I'm trying to get more women into racing. Okay. What I'm trying to do is to get the women who are in the sport better prepared for success. You know, okay. to improve their because there's a, there's a lot of women out there racing, but they're struggling. And so, um, so my first goal has always been how can I take the ones that are out there because they've already stepped into the arena. They've already said, "Oh, I love this sport." They've already, you know, they're already there. But if they're struggling, they're not going to stay there for very long, and they're not going to represent how what the opportunity or what the possibility is. So the first and foremost, in my opinion, is you take the ones that are there and you do everything you can to help them achieve success because they become great 
examples and ambassadors to then phase two is to then grow it, you know, to get more. Um, but what were also really important is how many more women, not just race car drivers, but how many more women have an opportunity to work in the sport overall, whether it's engineering, whether it's fabricating, whether it's engine building. I mean, it's an open sport. It's a very, I've always said it's a gender neutral sport. It's just, you have to show up, you have to have the passion, and then you have to have the skill because racing does not, it, they don't suffer fools. You cannot be mediocre and be, if, at, any, at anything. You can't even be mediocre putting air in tires <laughs> if you are in racing. You have to literally excel at a very, very high level to be able to survive in racing. And so it would be, it's a great opportunity for women to, to come into the sport and, and have a great career and a great opportunity to, to you know, to have a blast and, and work on a very, you know, exciting, competitive program. And so, yes, that in that case, I'm definitely trying to get, you know, whether it's through STEM activities in school or whether it's to kind of have career thought process, somebody that might be in the automotive industry or some other space that says, oh, you know, I might want to go over there and do this. But you have to want to travel. You have to want to work hard. You have to be very dedicated to what you're doing. As I said, that it doesn't suffer fools and it does not accept mediocrity. Is it harder for women to get sponsorship? And is it hard for women to become team owners? Well, I mean, team owners are big. That's, that's, that's a, you have to have a lot of zeros. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's true. In your, in your pocket to be a team owner. I mean, it, 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 again, there's, a, there's no gender defined on that. It's just right. a matter of you have to have a good business head and you have to uh, you know, have access to, to financial resources. Um, but... Uh, as far as the sponsorship goes, yes, it is harder for women, even though the perception is, because it's still somewhat unique, that it would be easier. But the reality is, the majority of the decision makers of who decides who's going to sponsor whom, the majority of those decision makers are still men. And I've always said, whoever decides to become a sponsor they want to believe that whoever they're sponsoring is going to win, is capable of winning. And we haven't had enough women winning for them to go, oh, good, I'm going to, have, I'm going to sponsor a woman because I know she could win. And that's, that's the paradigm that we have to change. We have to put more women in the winner's circle because when that happens, then you believe it because you've seen it. And then you'll have people who want, people want to be part of a winner. They want to support a winner. What if they ever, you know how, like back in school, they had guy football teams and they had powder puff teams. If they had an all-women racing series, would that work? Well, that's sort of been a, a very catchy subject you bring up. <laughs> okay, well, I just, I'm just active. We're, we're, we're not politically correct here. You know, we no, just... No, 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 you're, but you're, you know, two years, around two years ago, no, maybe 2019, yep. um, a new series was announced out of England. Mm -hmm. Um, called the W Series, and it is a series that is for women only as far as the the drivers. It's for women race car drivers. Mm -hmm. And it's actually in very sophisticated Formula 3 cars. And when it was announced, there were a lot of ups and arms about this was wrong and it was going to put women back, and you know, and, and I was kind of on the fence because I, you know, the fact that I've just stated strongly that it's 
it's an opportunity for men and women to, to demonstrate that men and women can really compete on an equal basis. Why do something that's going to take distract from that advantage? So I wasn't sure about it in the beginning, and I got to learn more about it. They actually invited me to come over and be part of the selection process. And, and ultimately, it is a, a step on the ladder, and it provides an opportunity for women to get a great level of experience at no cost. They, they do not require sponsorship. And the, in fact, they not only do they not require sponsorship, they actually have a prize money at the end and so you and they pay all the expenses so it is a very interesting business model and i believe that it has already in fact shay holbrook competed in it um in 2019 and then of course in 2020 you know everything stopped um so i don't think we need a powder puff that that used to exist but i think that they're at the right level um in the right place at the right time in the right category um that having an all women type of racing can sort of help um it can help provide the the comfort level for somebody to give it a try and for somebody to really get some good experience but it, it isn't it, we don't need to have a wn like a wnba women's basketball or an lpga like women's golf or the wta like women's tennis we do not need to have a separate category of racing for women from the very bottom all the way up to the very top level. It, it's just not. It's just not necessary. Okay, we got a minute or two left. Um, you are the honoree at Amelia Island this year. Are you going to be involved in any of the seminars? Well, as it turns out, I'm not. I'm going to attend them because I always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, Bill Warner is always fabulous at putting together interesting. You know, interesting programs. And so the seminars this year are going to be about Porsche, um, and because he has a couple of different marks, and then he has a, a group of other drivers that are coming in and, and experts in, in the field. So I'm excited. I'm honored to be the honoree. Um, and they, I've heard from Bill that they've assembled 11 of the race cars that I have raced and competed in in my career, and I'm excited about that. So um, I'll be there in full force enjoying it with everyone else and then looking forward to seeing the cars that'll be on display on the on the field on sunday um so i'll be around the whole week it'll be from the 20th of uh, of may it's been rescheduled now from may 20th to may 23rd okay um so what are some of the other duties and things that that uh, that an honoree does i mean uh well i'm just curious <laughs> well, I- I, you know, it's funny. I, well, I, I didn't know either, other than I, I have to go to these dinners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And I have to, I, all of a sudden, I have to worry about what clothes I'm going to wear and take. But um, Simple. But racing suit and a helmet. Well, <laughs> that was so simple. You were so right about that. I was like, God, I love that. But um, so we, we get to go, I get to go to the dinner, uh, the Porsche dinner and the McLaren dinner, and, uh, and, and then just be around people i mean we're going to have some apparel that they've created with my logo on it and and we really want to we we were actually we're very we were working very hard for the march event you know as of last year thinking about the march event of having a women's rally oh wow having you know a women's seminar but with the covid and the rescheduling and the postponement um we really that he really had to scale it back. So I'm just honored that it didn't get canceled, and uh, 
and that you know there will be obviously things that we we will have um, that will make women feel comfortable, even though I think they've never felt uncomfortable. But, you know, <laughs> hopefully, kind of add some a little bit of more of a of a female flavor to the uh, to the event. Super. All right. So, uh, uh, Lynn, if somebody wants to find out more about your programs, how do they go about doing that? Well, the best way is to go to my website, which is uh, lynnstjames.com. And um, and then, of course, if I know they're still selling tickets to Amelia, so if you're interested in that, then go to ameliaislandconcord.org. Um, and, uh, you know, really, I've, on my website is what I my activities, what I'm doing, and, and uh, what I'm also trying to do. Okay, very good. Well, Lynn, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here again. We'll have to do this again in the future, and I know we always yeah. bumping each other at some of these events. Thank but you. Yeah. thank you very much. Good luck, and congratulations on being the honoree at Amelia Island this year. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank my special guest, Lynn St. James, legendary lady race car driver, and uh, she'll be the uh, 20, the honoree at the 26th uh, annual Amelia Island. 26 years. Wow, I went to the first one in 97. 96 was the first year. So, uh, hey, don't forget to check out flacarshows.com where all the car shows are. Don't forget to tune in here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. to find out what we're up to and to listen to the uh, most fascinating legendary people in motorsports and music. Next week, we have a very special musical guest coming on. So... On that note, whoa, we got a little bit of time here. We got, a, what, another minute? No way. Well, anyway, hey, let me go back up real quick about that one guy that had the um, the Mustang. He had so many options. He would show up at all these car shows, and every time there was a car show, we would look forward to seeing him at the car show just cause, so we could see what he added onto his car. It was really cool. So look for some of the unique cars. Talk to some of the people. Make your car special. Make your car unique. So a real car guy goes, wow. It's all about wow, right, Tommy? Yeah. In the meantime, don't forget to, uh, I don't know, listen here. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family, guys. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.